Good morning. I'd like to introduce our storyteller for today, Dave Wellman. Uh, Dave was one of the first people I met coming to this church. He was on the deacon board and he was interviewing the membership candidates and I happened to be there and um, he really grilled me, let me tell you. It was, it was a rough experience. Now, Dave has been involved in this church for over 40 years and he has ha had his hand in one thing or another all over this place. He has been uh, a Sunday school teacher for the children's ministry for almost 20 years. He has done vacation Bible school, skits and drama with the kids every summer. He has done many tours of duty on the elder board um, and many other aspects, been in the choir, just helping with all kinds of things. So um, Dave, would you come on up? I know that you have many things you could tell us, but he has narrowed it down to uh, a few stories that he will tell. Well, thank you. I want to tell you that I'm a little, little tired. I went down to the ball game in uh, Arizona yesterday, and uh, before, before, <laughs> before the national anthem, they had all the veterans stand up, and they all mm -hmm. gave us a round of applause. <clears throat> Yay. <laughs> even, even the folks from Penn State, uh, Al, stood up and probably... Uh, Gave me a little round. Well, let me tell you, my ex expectations are high if after coming out of it, what, what I do here today. So, uh, I was born during the Depression, and I was given the middle name in honor of a, the Christian man, Clarence Grogan, who paid the hospital bill and also generously supported the parochial school which I would attend. My older brother got my father's name, Ferdinand. <laughs> Besides my brother, I had an older and younger sister. Our parents were beginning to work their way out of the Depression. And things were looking up. We even bought a used Hudson Terraplane. But 75 years later, it's still hard for all four of us to meet because we live on the four corners of the country. Well, there's a, a lot of my early story since I started uh, school when I was five. There's a lot of story in this picture. I was held back for communion until I was seven, which was the following spring of my second grade. Uh, that's me sitting in the front, front door next to Father Meehan. Father Meehan was the parish priest. By the way, that's, uh, that's Ferdinand behind Father Meehan there. He goes by the name Jim now, which is a little easier. <laughs> well, Father Meehan was a terrific uh, parish priest. Uh, on, on the day before my seventh birthday, all four of us were at home alone while our mom was at the hospital with our dad, who had suffered a stroke. Father Meehan brought us the bad news that my father had died. This is a life changer for my mom and us kids. Father Meehan could have said that we would spend the rest of our life growing up living on the wrong side of the tracks. Shoot, we already live almost right next to the tracks. He would, have, uh, he would say that since we were all about four years apart, our mother would have someone with her, with her close pretty much all of her life. He would say that uh, you would be taking in rumors to share the one bathroom house you lived in 
and you know, all to make uh, ends meet. I remember in high school, for two years, we had three girls who were uh, office workers. They lived with us. I had to be out of the house by 7 o'clock in the morning. Well, we all worked to contribute to the family. And that's uh, my family house there, uh, since remodeled. But uh, yet our mom would somehow have the resources when we lived here to share Velveeta cheese sandwiches with the hobos riding on the train. This was during World War II, and prison trains with army guards would come through taking German POWs to work up in uh, Wisconsin. There would be a house of ill repute nearby, and my mom would always be calling the cops. There would be a pedophile in the neighborhood. Father Meehan would say, your heartbroken mom would have a lot of concerns to deal with. Your paper route would, it will include your neighborhood where an ex-con boyfriend's girl, uh, customer, their daughter, this guy would pull a gun on you just to, when I tried to collect a measly 15 cent subscription. Pointed that gun in my face and he says, get the, out of here, kid. Well, Father Meehan, Uh, also would say that the schools in our neighborhood aren't the best and a lot of kids would quit school when they were 16 and one of my childhood buddies I know would end up in the state pen in Michigan City, Indiana. I think that's up where you live, isn't it, Julie? (laughs) (laughs) Father Man, of course, didn't say these things, but I, I use this to give my story a little prophetic twist. But you know, he did know that the generous parishioners in our church would cover the cost of school and provide food baskets a lot of the time. He could have also said that the Sisters of Providence would firmly provide not only the best education, and I emphasize on firmly, (laughs) but would also lovingly and convincingly uh, uh, give us instruction in the belief in Jesus Christ. Well, (laughs) Polly Lindbergh is always complaining about me wearing shorts. You can see from this picture that I'm in my borrowed uh, communion suit here, the only kid in short pants. So Polly, wearing shorts is a spiritual thing with me. (laughs) Every boy should have a dog. My dog, Ebony, was not only a pet and a friend, but a helper. She sniffed her way from house to house, and I dutifully followed. Everyone on the route knew her. She was one of those dogs that looked like she was smiling all the time. The kids petted her, adults spoke to her, and quite a few customers used to give her scraps. As we'd reached the top of the hill on the other side of the tracks, Eb would no longer stick with the paper route. She would head straight towards the Lawrence Tice home more particularly Mrs. Tice's kitchen door. One summer late afternoon, a thunderstorm was soaking both dog and boy, so we took refuge under the large eaves at the Tice house. Mrs. Tice saw us and brought out some towels to dry off. Then she handed me a large package wrapped in aluminum foil. Hey, aluminum foil, we used to wash that and we reuse it. She says, he says, here, I've just cut up a beef roast for Mr. Tice, and here's some extra for you to take home for your dog. 
I thanked her, and then we ran back out into the dying rain and finished the route. And Ebony barked and begged all the way home, and I opened the package to take a look. These were not scraps. Ebony was going to have to share this with my mom and my family. At home, I unwrapped the package on the kitchen table. I told my mom Mrs. Tice had sent it home for Ebony. My mom cried, as she often did. She knew exactly what Mrs. Tice was doing when she had given us the best cut of the roast. Well, I followed the lead of my brother. About the fourth or fifth grade, <clears throat> I became an altar boy. It wasn't long before I realized altar boys were not the angelic faces. <laughs> Excuse me. Mike said if I had trouble, it was his fault. Well, we didn't have those angelic uh, faces we tried to put on. A new Monsignor came in, and he quickly clamped down on the horseplay and the giggling that went on. His name was Emil Swire, and with this very German name, name with a slight accent, we older boys figured he was a refugee from the Gestapo brought in to clean up our act. <laughs> and since my church was the cathedral, Holy Thursday was a big deal. All the priests from around the state would come in and say extra masses. Makeshift elders were put up in the church, all around the church and the school, and Monsignor Swire, he was in charge of assigning older boys to, to those jobs. It was payday, as they, we, we got tipped a buck each time we served a Mass. I had already made three bucks serving that uh, Mass that day, and I heard Monsignor Swire call out, Wellman. You know, when you heard, no first name, when you heard your last name, trouble. I was busted, obviously. Probably some heinous Latin omission. I he says, I want you to help Father Duffy, excuse me, I want, I want you to help Father Duffy before, before you leave. He's going to say a mass at the main altar. We need, he may need some extra help, just do what he says. I thought, hey, another buck. Instead of two older boys, I would have to serve alone, something that was seldom done. Father Duffy appeared from the back of the dressing area, wearing vestments that were obviously borrowed from a much shorter priest. He was very thin and bent over. We exchanged courtesies, and I headed out into the sanctuary. After prayers at the foot of the altar, he asked if, if uh, I would give him some help uh, Getting, getting up the few steps to the altar. I offered my assistant, uh, I could, by holding his hand and grabbing his arm. I could feel how bony he was. During the Mass, he moved slowly, shaking throughout every motion, and needing help even getting up from genuflecting. He asked me to pour the wine, the wine into the chalice. This is something the priests always did. When I hesitated, he nodded it would be okay. I was beginning to worry about him spilling the wine. I worried that if I had to touch any of the elements or other stuff, it would be sacrilegious. As he walked slowly from side to side at the altar, I was distracted by the undersized vestments, the missing black cassock, and the very visible tan trousers and brown shoes. 
Maybe he was some other order. Maybe he was a Franciscan. The whole situation was kind of confusing for a young kid. He was sweating profusely throughout everything, and I looked around to see if anyone who was in the church would help me if he fainted. Yeah, he only, only a couple of old women were praying on the side altar. Where was Monsignor Schwire when you needed him? Somehow, Father Duffy and I finished, made it through that service, and afterwards he just seemed to disappear. Later that evening at prayer service, Monsignor Swire asked, how'd it go with Father Duffy, Wellman? I told him some about what had happened, commented on him being so thin, and asked him what order he was in wearing those uh, tan, tan pants and brown shoes. He characteristically smiled at me and replied, Father Duffy is Army Chaplain John Duffy. Then he added respectfully, Father Duffy was a prisoner of war in a Japanese camp, and he is a survivor of the Bataan Death March. John Edward Duffer, Duffy. Later I would find out he was bayoneted twice and left for dead and committed by General MacArthur. He only lived 10 years after that. Can you realize what kind of an honor that is to serve a man like that? Well, you can't be an older boy all your life. So I got married to Julie. But first I had to finish school. And after school we got married and uh, went into the Air Force. And uh, into pilot training, I mean, you know, being young marrieds going through pilot training, it doesn't get any better than that. Like a new start in life with all its promises and hope and all that bad stuff behind you. And this Clarence finally earned his wings. Well, my hope for this church in this coming new year is that uh, we still <coughs> base our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for listening to my story. If you want to hear the rest of it, I invite you to visit the Air Museum where I'm a docent. Shameless plug here, I tell of my Vietnam experiences flying B-52s. And that's this Friday at 1 o'clock. <laughs> This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of uh, Lamentations, uh, verses 21 to 24. And this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And the steadfast, steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to the end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, therefore I will hope in him. The word of the Lord. Welcome to this New Year's Eve service. I can't, I guess it would have been about what, six years ago that we would have had New Year's Eve on a Sunday? Now I can't remember how that works with a leap year kind of thing going on. Um, but here we are on New Year's Eve, and we're glad that you're spending it with us. Uh, do you have New Year's traditions? I know that that was a question that Katie had for us earlier, but do most of you have New Year's traditions? 
Yes, no, sort of. Uh, do you make resolutions? Most of you, you make resolutions. Some of you, I usually make some, but they don't last very long. Well, the way we've spent our typical New Year's, the last uh, years of our lives, is when the kids were young growing up, we would get lots of fun snack food, and we would have you know, candles, and we would have sparkling cider and champagne, and just watch movie, old movies, usually Three Stooges with two boys. That was always you know, a big hit. Little rascals, different things like that. And then at midnight, we would stay up till midnight. We would have leftover fireworks from Fourth of July that Barry and the boys would go outside and light off, you know, in the neighborhood. I'm sure everybody appreciated that. But that's how we did that then. And now that it's just the two of us, we typically watch a movie, have some champagne, and sometimes we make it till midnight. Well, I do love New Year's. I love the idea of the past being behind and looking forward to whatever the future may hold. And I think about how this year is going to be different, right? This year, I am going to clean out those closets. This year, I'm going to establish healthier habits. This year, I am going to set the table with dishes every night for dinner, not just paper plates or go in front of the TV. This year, I'm going to put more effort into that challenging relationship. I promise, honey. <laughs> This year, you fill in the blank. What is it for you? Well, I was looking through some New Year's quotes, and I thought I'd share a few with you. New Year's Day now is the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. That's referring to the road to hell is paved with good intentions. May all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. It's a good one. A New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. C.S. Lewis. This is the beginning of anything you want. Really, I read this one and thought, oh my goodness, if you believe this, you are going to have one rough year. That one I didn't like. What the new year brings you, to you will depend a great deal on what you bring to the new year. I thought that was kind of cool. And last, and my very favorite one, I'm sure it's a proverb, don't let idiots ruin your year. Happy New Year 2018, right? All right. Well, this is New Year's, and today our message is about hope for a new year. Now, the book of Lamentations that we heard Dave read earlier is not typically known for its theme of hope. As a matter of fact, the title itself communicates something different. This Old Testament book is a collection of five laments which grieve the destruction of Jerusalem from the Babylonian army in 587 BC. Now, this can be a really hard book to read, but it can also be a really helpful book to read depending on where you are in your own life. See, We also lament, don't we? That's part of our life. And I think that we Christians, we tend to be 
really upbeat and gloss over the feelings of hopelessness that we can have because we like to say, God is good all the time. And he is good all the time. But good things aren't happening all the time. See, when we gloss over those things, that's called denial, and it's not healthy. We need to allow space for both those who are experiencing joy and those who are experiencing sorrow. We need to be more comfortable with that sack and ashes state of mind that is part of our Christian experience. It allows us to get to the other side with a deeper faith instead of just pretending things are fine all the time. And so that's what we get from the Book of Lamentations. I hope that no matter where you are in your life today, whether it's joy or it's a difficulty or sorrow, that this church and this community can be a place where you can be authentic about what's really happening in your life. I think it's really sad when people stop coming to church because they're going through hard times. I'm pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to be. Well, turning our focus now to chapter 3, verse 21, we take this remarkable turn from lament to hope. And that's kind of what life is like. Now, I have our scripture here from the New Living Translation. We were reading it earlier in the New Revised Standard Version, which I love, but I like this one too, and so this is what I'm using for right now. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. This really resonates with me because I love how this starts out. Yet I still dare to hope. Doesn't that sound like the author is taking a risk? You've heard the phrase double dog dare, right? From the Christmas story. I want you to raise your hand if you are one who enjoys the challenge of being dared. Anybody? Yeah, I knew about you. I do sometimes, but it depends on the dare. Not many of us, though. I would say very few really want to take that challenge of being dared. So maybe today's message is going to resonate with you more. Well, I remember playing Truth or Dare as a kid. Any of you play that game at it overnight? It was all about peer pressure, not wanting to appear to be scared to take on the dare. And I may or may not have done a few things that I would regret later because of that. But why is this author here still daring to hope in the midst of this lamenting? Because he is remembering who God is and what he has done. You see, he sets his mind in a different direction, away from what is, what is true and what is happening, to God's faithfulness and mercy in the midst of what is happening. Trusting God's mercy enabled the poet to welcome the new day, and it enables us to welcome a new year. Now, I'm not inferring that we're all in a place of this dark lament, right? 
However, if we look back on this past year, 2017, did it turn out the way you thought it would? Did it unfold in all wonderful things? Did we have hopes that didn't come true? Or challenges that we had never thought of that came up? Did we have some hopeless moments and wonder where God was in all of that? I know my year did not turn out as planned. Some of it was wonderful. We had a wedding in the spring that we'd hoped for for years and years with this boy, and it was wonderful. But we also had some unforeseen challenges and disappointments, as I know you did too. We dare to hope not in our circumstances, but in the faithful, faithfulness of God who gives us what we need when we need it. You know, someone asked me the other day, how do you handle all the stuff that's going on in your life? Well, I know, and you know, that my hope cannot be in myself or my circumstances. If that were the case, I could not dare to hope. Hope comes from remembering how God has been present in our troubles. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. I've experienced God's help in times of trouble when I wanted him to take the trouble away. But instead, he left the situation but showed me how he was with me in it. I've experienced his unceasing mercy and love at some of my darkest hours, as you have. And as I get older, I have more hope because I've had more examples of God's faithfulness to me through the years. And the beauty of being in an intergenerational community as we are here is that we have the perspective of those who have been at life longer than us that can give us the hope that we need because they've witnessed those things longer. I've really been blessed by all the stories that I've heard here and one-on-one -on -one with many of you as you share your examples of God's faithfulness, and it gives me hope. Now, the last verse here sums up how you can go from lament or fear to hope. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. You know, I think of people who are expecting an inheritance of money, and so that is what they have their hope in. Once they get that money, all will be well. Well, our author is not putting his hope in wealth, and he's not putting his hope in a job, or a person, or health. It's solely in the Lord. That's what his inheritance is. You see, everything else is changing and out of our control. God's goodness and mercy and love, they are never ceasing and they are never changing. Hoping in anything else is a gamble. It's risky at best. I can dare to look forward to this new year with hope, not because it will be a better year, although it might be, but it will be a mix of joy and it will be a mix of challenges, but I can anticipate it as a gift 
from God. I look forward to having a new baby this year. That's, that's what one of our hopes is, is seeing this new little one. And I don't know what yours is, but we all have something that we know will come in the new year that we put our hope in. My hope in the new year comes from knowing that God is the God of all hope in all circumstances. His mercies are new each day and they are new each year. So how are you feeling about welcoming in the new year? You know, there are some years you just want to end and be done with and you're ready for what's coming ahead. And I don't know what this one's been like for you. What are you hoping for in 2018? Maybe you think, this is the year that my finances are going to finally improve and I'm going to have more security. Or maybe this is the year that I'm going to finally get that job I've been going after. Or this is the year that I finally find that balance in my life that I really need. Now, I got to tell you, today I'm hoping that the Seahawks win and the Falcons lose. <laughs> but that's a risky proposition right now, so I'm just not going to put all my hope in that. Our hope is not in the new year, but in the one who makes all things new. So do you still dare to have hope? It's the safest dare you'll ever accept because God is a God who is never changing. On this New Year's Eve, dare to have hope because God is good and a loving God. He will not change. He is faithful and his mercies are new for each challenge that you and I are going to face this coming year. Do you believe that? If you do, you can leave this place today being hopeful for the new year. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us this past year and with all that it has entailed. And we thank you for the hope we can have for the new one that is upon us. Lord, enable us today to welcome it and all its potential as God's good gift to each of us. In your name we pray, amen.